Macworld Podcast number 405 for April 30th, 2014, brought to you by iFixit.com, the world's free online repair manual for everything, and Citrix, makers of ShareFile, the professional way to share files, and go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to and wherever you are. I'm Chris Breen from Macworld, and um, it seems to be Let's Juggle podcast hosts every single week because Serenity Caldwell is uh, she's still down with a little bit of a throaty virus, and so she preferred not to be on today. But that does mean that we are uh, lucky and fortunate enough to have Mr. Dan Frakes joining me today. Hey, Dan. Hey, Chris. You, you could have just said... And we've been trying to get Dan on for so long, and we finally said, no, you had to just say, uh, somebody's sick, so he's helping. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I would, normally I would, I would apologize, but, um, that's basically what we've been doing to Dan Morin for the last three weeks. It's like, oh, well, Chris is sick, so Dan's here again. And, uh, so we well, figured it was. We're all part of the team here, right? You're just another Dan to us, but, but you're actually you're the most special Dan. Uh huh. You say that to all the Dans, don't I you? I do. Chris? I say it to all the Dans. Um, so. This is a, a week that um, people who really like comics are upset, and the reason is: first of all, do you do you read digital comics? Occasionally, I'm not a hardcore comics fan, but I occasionally will, and I I know the hoopla. Oh well, why don't you talk about the hoopla then? What is this about? Well, you know, Amazon bought Comicsology. Was it three, four weeks ago? Mm-hmm. I don't remember exact timeline, but. We were all just saying, actually, on the Tech Hive podcast last week that, hey, this is great because Amazon tends to take things, buy them, and leave them alone, like Zappos or you know uh, all the all the other small companies that they've bought. Uh, they they let them operate on their own. They don't really change things. And so we were all saying that this is so much not like a Google acquisition because it's going to stay the same. Yeah. And then they this week released a new version of the Comicsology app. Uh, the old version let you buy comics directly from within the app, which, of course, meant that Apple got 30% of all those sales. Mm. Amazon has said, "Eh, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to change the app, so now you have to go buy them on the Comicology Comicology or Amazon, whatever the website, web store is, and then download them into the app. So people are upset because they are saying, it used to be so nice and easy. I could just click a button and purchase them right in the app, just like the App Store. Um, and now I can't. So people are pretty annoyed by that. I, from what I take, yeah, that's what I've heard. I'd be all over Twitter this weekend because I think it broke yeah. on mm-hmm. Saturday that, that that this was yeah. happening, and my whole Twitter feed was just full of this. And I'm not really a comics guy. I like older comics, and I buy them in paper form because that's the form I like them in. Um, but I'm not really a digital comics guy. But I totally get why people are upset about this, and it isn't just that. People using Comixology on iOS are upset, but also the people using it on Android are sure. upset because mm-hmm. they too were able to buy direct using Google Play and now they can't. So what Amazon has proposed instead is that you have to go through them and much like purchasing a book through the Kindle app, right. you can't right. do that. Instead, you have to go to a certain website and then you can get it from there. And they're take on it was because obviously people questioned them about it. And, and of course, they have to do the PR spin, which isn't, well, we'd like that 30% for ourselves. Thank you very much. But it was right. instead, somehow they were going to, people were going to have access to more comics and a greater experience. But of course, it's not a one-stop shop anymore. Now it's like, oh, you want this? Okay, go over here. You can get this. And then you can sync it over here. 
And it does sort of remove that experience of you like standing at the market and seeing the cover of the latest celebrity magazine saying, oh, I'll buy that because you're in the right place at the right time. So this could mean that there are less of those or fewer of those impulse purchases. And instead, you have to make a real effort to go out and get the comics that you want. Right. And I mean, we should have seen this coming, right? Amazon does it with books. They Mm -hmm. do it with anything that you want to get on your iOS device. You have to buy from Amazon first somewhere else and then come onto your device and sync that content. So it shouldn't really surprise us. And it shouldn't. You know, there are other vendors who are doing the same thing. So I, I don't think it's really that much of a surprise. But, you know, if you've been used to this one way of doing things for a while, and then suddenly it's now much harder, um, and, you know, it's a pain now compared to what it was before. I, I understand why it's annoying. Um, you know, I, I and I'm kind of torn on this because I, I understand why Apple wants the 30% mm-hmm. of, uh, for obvious reasons. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know. Um I've heard from some developers who say, you know, we would be happy to do this if it was 10, 15%. 30%'s a huge chunk. Yeah. You know, that's a third of what we would make on something, you know, at, at minimum. You know, if we have other costs in there, it, it's a third out of our, you know, a third of our smaller chunk. Yeah. So I, so I get why developers and people like Amazon do this as well. You would think that, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't. I was going to say, you would think that Apple maybe at some point would say, okay, We've established all this for certain categories of in-app purchases. We're going to lower it for, you know, periodicals or something like that. Uh, but then again, you know, if people are buying them, why, why would Apple do that? Do that? Well, that, yeah. And that's so against what Apple does. I mean, they're, they're very much saying, no, it's 30% and it's 30% for everybody. Right. And you can paint that one way saying, well, that's fair. Or you can go the other way and saying, well, that seems a little high. Uh, particularly when you're talking about uh, this kind of, um, with media, well, you're constantly going to be purchasing new stuff, you know, so maybe you take 30% on the first buy and then after that, knock it down to 10%. So that right, it's, right. it's not quite so onerous. Right. Well, and especially for, for content that's like, that involves multiple part, you know, for, for, for a game an in-app purchase. You know, you, you, you've bought the game, you're buying coins for this or, you know, special powers for this. That's all going right to the developer. But for something like books and music and comics, that, that extra money you're spending for the content, you know, it's divided up between the, the publisher, between the, the artist or the, you know, the, the writer or whatever. Uh, so it's not like Amazon's getting all that. Yeah. Amazon's the one who's losing all that 30%. It's out other people too. And you know that like book publishers, you know, that the extra 30% is coming right out of the author pocket, not out of, you know, Simon and Schuster. What? Really? <laughs> oh, those of us who've ever seen a, a royalty yeah. check from a book publisher know. Well, what about uh, subscriptions? Do they, is it still 30% per whatever you get or do you get yeah. a break on subscriptions? No, I think it's 30%. Of the cost of the subscription comes to, goes to Apple too, so I think it's pretty much like you said across the board, thirty percent of anything you sell goes right to our pocket. Now, see, the, I think that's one place where they could make a break and just say, okay, look, if you signed up for Super Zamo Heroes comics for like two years, we'll drop that to to ten percent or fifteen percent. I mean, obviously, Apple wants its money, but um, I know that one of the things that comics people seem to be upset about is that. With this kind of in-app purchase and this availability of comics, they feel like, okay, comics are finally not being relegated to these weird little stores somewhere. Um, 
sorry, comic book lovers um, and owners. But um, but now there's been this resurgence that more and more people are being exposed to comics. The art form is coming up, and really there's some brilliant things being done in comics these days. They're not just for kids anymore, but the story is very compelling. The artwork is, is marvelous. Um, and now this is sort of a step back where people are newbies to the form aren't really going to traipse in and start buying comics because it's just too much of a problem to do it. So now it goes back to sort of the hardcore comics readers, and then everybody else is going, oh, yeah, it's too much trouble. I'm not going to do it. No, I mean, I agree. That's, that was the big thing that Comixology was great for was that it was convenient and you could download the app for free. And then even if you've never looked at comics before, you could just be browsing this app and say, well, I'll try that tap buy. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of cool. Let me get some more. But, you know, I think, I think for the comic book lovers, not necessarily the customers or the publishers, for the people who are really invested in the comic book culture and they really want it to take off again. I think they saw the Comixology app as a quick and easy way for non-comic book lovers to get into the market, mm-hmm. to get interested. And now you're sort of you're relegating those casual users to, you know, somebody who just might pass through and look and say, "Yeah, that's such a pain. I'm going to go buy my Kindle book or yeah. you know, iBooks book." Um, so that's you know, it's unfortunate in that respect. Um, although, you know, I, I do have to say, I'm shocked that. Apple hasn't at some point started getting some of this stuff for iBooks. Um, maybe they're just not into it, but it seems like a big opportunity for them to say, hey, you know, you don't want to, Amazon's making it, making it hard for you. Let us help you out here. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, maybe iBooks isn't really tweaked for no, it's not, that kind no. of graphics format. But yeah, that seems like a rich opportunity because there are people who, who are not just buying comics, but also the full graphic novels, which are not cheap. Uh, Apple could take 30% of that, and I'm sure they'd be more than happy to get that check every month. I was just going to say, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities for Apple and Amazon and some of these these you know comic book publishers to get together and do something. It's just a matter of whether Apple thinks it's a big enough market to do it, right? Yeah. The other thing that... When I heard about this, this seemed like kind of that Steve Jobs moment when he was introducing the iTunes store and talking about digital music. And and what they were facing at the time was piracy, is that people were going out and stealing music um, because it was pretty easy to do that. And his take on it was, look, if we make this easy enough to purchase digital music, people won't pirate as much. And I think that was borne out that people did use iTunes and they bought music that way. And so piracy, I don't know if it went down, but at least it didn't in- increase. This seems like one of those moments where people who are frustrated enough at this action will turn to BitTorrent and just go, okay, forget it. Uh, I can get current comics on BitTorrent if I want. Maybe I have to wait a couple of days, but they're going to show up there. Rather than, than grant Amazon anything, so they not only do they not get my 30%, they get nothing. And instead, I'll steal them. Um, which I don't think is good for the business. I don't think it's good for people consuming content. Um, but it does seem like one of these backward steps where you've made it hard enough for people where they just go, forget it. I have no respect for the, the content owners anymore. I'm just going to take this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's, you know, although I do have to say it's kind of interesting to me that, uh, usually when there's kind of something like this going on, Apple is the one that gets the brunt of the bad PR mm-hmm. by people saying Apple's, you know, they're making us do 30% of this. This is crazy of Apple that requires. And so I was kind of shocked when this happened that everyone seems to be going after Amazon saying, 
geez, you know, they want their 30%. And so they're taking away Apple's 30%. It's kind of the backwards narrative I, that I'm getting, I'm used to. Yeah. I think ultimately, well, one is that people, I think generally like Amazon. They, they have sort yeah. of kind of warm and fuzzy feelings about it because that's true. they deliver stuff to you, you know, when they say they're going to and, it's so easy. I, you know, of all big brands out there, I'm very keen on Amazon. But, yeah. you know, they're in the business to make money. They're not out there promoting culture. And so I don't think they really care about the comic book culture, um, and particularly their defense of it. I thought was just like, hey, look, what it really boiled down to was uh, we want that money and we're going to get it. So that's business. Suck yeah. it up. And the other thing is that Amazon, it isn't just that Amazon's getting its 30%, but they've taken convenience out of the experience. Yeah, yeah, that's the bigger thing, I agree. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people are most upset about, is just, I can no longer go in the app and tap a button to buy a, a comic. Yeah, yeah, that's gone. Now I have to jump through these hoops to do it. And yes, I've heard Amazon's explanations that somehow it's going to be better, but it's not. It's, you know, I can't just go buy that and it happens instead I have to jump around. So, yeah. Although, although I have to say that it's all relative, right? Because those of us who've been buying books for the Kindle for ages know that that's exactly what we've been having to, have to do for years, right? We, oh, I want to get on my iPad. Let me, hold on. I got to go to my web browser. I'll buy it here. Then I'll go back in. So it's, you know, we really haven't made gotten any worse yeah. except for the people who've been doing it the easy way for so long. It's like, it's like if iTunes suddenly made you go to a web browser to buy your, your, your songs and then go back to iTunes to listen to them. It's, it's kind of, it seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it stings only when they've taken it away from you. Otherwise right. you say, well, that's how this is. But I, I do recall when the, when the Kindle apps came out on iOS, people were going, what? I can't buy within Kindle. Yeah. I have to, well, that, that's goofy. And maybe yeah. that helped Apple in that people could go to the iBookstore and, and buy directly there. So maybe the readership is higher on iOS because of that. But um, but I do think people have multiple Kindles now, so I can see the mm -hmm. attraction of, of getting books through uh, through Amazon. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about iFixit.com, which is, of course, the world's free online repair manual for everything. You've probably heard about iFixit, but if you haven't, here's the deal. At iFixit, you can find free step-by-step -step repair guides with foolproof instructions to fix all your coolest stuff. If you've shattered your iPad display, if you need to repair your MacBook Pro, or you need to swap the battery on your iPhone, iFixit's got you covered. They have thousands of repair guides for electronics, like your smartphone, your tablet, and your game console. They can even hook you up with the parts you'll need to fix it, and everything they sell is tested and guaranteed. Best of all, iFixit designs and manufactures the most trusted repair tools for electronics, including the ProTech Toolkit. So what's in this thing? Well, there's a ton of stuff in there. They have 70 tools to assist you with any mod, malfunction, or misfortune that comes your way. It's the gold standard for electronics work, from garage hackers to, apparently, the CIA and FBI. But more importantly, the unique tools are used by repair technicians everywhere. Now, I could provide you with an exhaustive list of what's in here, but I won't because, well, it'll take me forever to do it. Just know that there are Phillips bits, Pentelope bits, Torx bits, Tri-Wing bits, and this is for video game consoles, Triangle bits, and that's for McDonald's toys, uh, ESD safe precision tweezers. They also have nylon spongers, and these are things for prying things up. And as they say in the business, so much more. It's a great kit for professionals and amateurs alike, and it's backed by a one-year warranty. 
Check it all out at ifixit.com slash Macworld for all the free repair guides you'll ever need. And when you find that perfect part or tool, just use the coupon code Macworld at checkout and you get $10 off your order of $50 or more. That's ifixit.com slash Macworld. So I don't think it's any big secret to people that we record this before it hits the airwaves like a couple of days before. So we're recording this on Monday. And one of the uh, rumors floating around there is that new MacBook Air models will be coming Tuesday, which if you're listening to this on Wednesday means they came out yesterday. Unless, of course, they didn't, in which case, oops. Fast forward about 10 minutes. (laughs) So, all right, well, let's say this happened. Let's, let's, I'm going to commit here and say, yes, this happened. MacBook Air has come out, um, well, speaking into the future from the past, or into the past from the future. Grammar is hard this way. It is really hard this way. Um, let's say that this happens, and it's just a speed bump. Do we care? Well, I, I, I think that's what it's going to be. I will say that. I think that at this point, you're going to get, or you will have gotten yesterday, uh, <laughs> MacBook Airs with slightly faster processors, maybe you know a few little tweaks here and there. Uh, but there's really not much... You know, other than a retina display, which I don't think is coming to the MacBook Air, or I don't think came yesterday. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think it's coming soon. Uh, there's not a lot for Apple to, to tweak right now in that, uh, there's, there's slightly faster processors from, from Intel. Um, you know, the, the price of SSDs is going down. So maybe you'll get a little more storage or will have gotten, uh, for your money. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm expecting, um, speed bumps, and I have been proven right, right? Uh, unless, unless you're wrong. Um, <laughs> right, okay, so let's say that uh, the Retina didn't come out, because I think that's what people are expecting on the MacBook Air. So let's say that yesterday there was no Retina, which hints to me that if they do speed bump the things, that Retina is still a, a fair way off, at least, you know, it's a generation away. Um, because to release these things without Retina when a retina would be possible in six months. I don't see why they wouldn't have waited for six months to do that. Well, I mean, expense could be one of them. I mean, the retina displays are still kind of pricey. Right. So maybe today, tomorrow, yesterday, whenever, whenever um, they're a little more, a little too expensive still, but maybe in the fall they won't be. Right. Because uh, the, the Apple has been doing some bumps of a lot of their lines in September, October over the last few years. Uh, so I think expense might be one. Uh, I O or excuse me, Mac OS... 10 point whatever <laughs> being announced at WWDC. Maybe there, there's some stuff there that's going to be even more focused on retina displays. And so it would be good to release after that. Uh, so I, I mean, I think there's a number of reasons why I, I just, I don't think that they're ready yet. So we'll see what happens tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah. Well, cause this depends on processor one. Uh, yeah. Because it's all about battery. I mean, anybody who wants mm-hmm. the retina says, "No, please, please give me a, a retina." It's not because they don't want to. It's just that the battery is the issue. You want to make well, a and, and the graphics card right which on the MacBook Air line is all integrated. Right. So you need something that's thin, except has a big battery in it, and so that doesn't work very well. So then you have to knock the processor down and knock the graphics card down if you can so that they're as low power as possible. And so people are talking about using the kind of chips they're using in the iPad now for the MacBook Air because apparently they're, they're getting to the point where they're powerful enough that you can do that, which would take a lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, 
draw off of the the battery so it could devote it to something like a retina display where you're getting enough display time out of it that it isn't like the old days where you'd get two hours and then go, oh, I have to swap a new battery in. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that if Apple puts a retina display in the air, that it's going to be in a new form factor, that the, the casing is going to change mm-hmm. and there's going to be some other changes to it. And there's this rumors that we've been hearing for a while now about a 12-inch MacBook Air coming out later this year. Uh, and if that's true, and who knows if it is, if it's true, that would seem to be the place that you'd fit it in because you're, you're getting a brand new, a brand new chassis mm-hmm. enclosure, um, new components, uh, you know, a whole new design. And so that I'm expecting that later this year and not tomorrow, yesterday. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Let's work ourselves out of this time wormhole by, um, saying, all right. So if these come out, if they have come out and they're just speed bumps, what Mac models really do need updating now? We haven't seen a new iMac for a while. Oh my gosh, the Mac Mini. Oh yeah, Hello. the Mac Mini. <laughs> the Mac what was the iMac. It was in December, was it? Was it that uh, recently? I think there was one in November, December. Okay, well, um, where they bumped it. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Mac Mini. It's been, I want to say, two years or even a little longer since we saw. It, it was sometime in 2012 when we saw the last refresh, mm-hmm. um, and that was even just a speed bump refresh. Right. So I'm actually looking on Mac tracker right now so I can tell you exactly what it was. But um, I mean, it's been a while and, you know, they uh, late 2002, October to, 2012, sorry, October 2012. Okay. So, so about a year and a half. Man, it feels like longer. It does. And particularly now with the, the new Mac Pro that's out, that's very, very powerful, but kind of way out there, priced out there to the point where, you know, the prosumer isn't going to buy the thing anymore. And unless you want an iMac with its built-in display, you you don't have a lot of places to go. The Mini has always seemed like that place to go, but it never seemed quite powerful enough. And that's what I really want from that Mini is I'd like, I didn't care if they pump up the price a couple of hundred bucks. I would really like to see a really seriously robust mini with a great graphics card in it, a couple of Thunderbolt ports, and, um, you know, the kind of power that I would want from sort of that in-between machine that's headless so that I don't have to buy a new Mac that has a display in it. Right, right. Or even if it's just a, a, a configuration, if they keep the, the you know, the low-end one at the, at the low-end mm-hmm. price, but they have a sort of a souped-up one for those of us who want a headless nice machine. I mean, I've been preaching for years about a mid-range Mac right. for the person who doesn't want an iMac. And uh, it seems now, especially with the, the Mac Pro being such a high-end machine, you know, I wrote an article when the Mac Pro came out after I reviewed it saying that the iMac is now the power user's Mac because the Mac Mini is too, just basically too low-end for somebody who's got really power user needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Mac Pro is just too much machine. So the Mac, iMac is currently that machine. But you're right. There's a lot of people out there, I think, who would love to have a Mac Mini that's a little more, a few more expansion ports, a little faster processor, a better of a graphics card, and that would be fine for them. You know, nowadays the 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 people are, you know, external external storage is a thing now. It's yeah. kind of what everybody just assumes you're going to get. 
Uh, and so just a fast Mac Mini would be a great little machine. Well, yeah, because when you originally started talking about this, and this tells you how long ago it was, you were talking about like a whole new configuration. I mean, a whole form factor, which it would be like the mini tower. And right. so you would have slots and you would have drive bays and all this stuff that now we'd sort of say is quaint. Like, okay, yeah. we Right. Yeah. Back then, that was the way, I mean, nobody who wanted serious performance would put a bunch of USB drives on the outside. Right, exactly. you know, they needed a drive bay and, right. and graphics cards weren't fast enough unless you got good ones. And and now, you know, even integrated graphics are fast enough for a lot of games. Um, and the, the discrete graphics cards that fit in laptops are, are pretty impressive. You can get Thunderbolt drives and USB three drives that are really fat. I mean, the, the, you don't, the, there's not as much need. I'm sure there are people who want that stuff, but you could get by without it and still have a great machine. Right, and SSD drives have come down now. So right. I think the the base configuration on, or maybe it's the the bump up on the current Mini is 256 SSD, one terabyte, and then you can make it into a Fusion drive or something. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I'm I'm trying to remember how much it is. It's. Um, I think. I think the the it still uses a hard drive for its built-in drive, but yeah, you can jack it up to an SSD. Uh, yeah, it comes with a 500 gigabyte or a one terabyte hard drive, which that seems kind of crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, now um, I would think the base would have a 256 uh, SSD, then add the the other, and, and just make Fusion the the main configuration, and then bump from there. So if I want to get 768 gigabytes or, or whatever that number is, along with a two terabyte drive and a good fa- graphics card and something and and fine, if it costs $800, $900, and I'm getting basically a tiny little Mac Pro uh, that's got a couple of Thunderbolt ports on there and USB 3, that would be very nice. Uh, yeah. I think the days of, of the Mini having to be the cheap Mac that you sacrifice for ought to be over at this point, where the Mini can be a moderately priced Mac that really is something where the, that prosumer who was going to buy the Mac Pro but is priced out will look at that one instead. And I think that's sort of where it's, it's a reflection on how much better things have gotten nowadays that uh, a MacBook Pro is now a primary machine for yeah. so many people that the processors, the laptop processors are fast. The graphics cards can be really, you know, powerful. And so there's the potential there for the Mac mini to be a really good machine. Uh, but for whatever reason, whether Apple doesn't want to raise the price or whether they're worried about competing with the iMac, they haven't so far said, let's just make this a great machine. They've still said, let's put a slow laptop drive in it. Let's put slow graphics, relatively speaking. Let's put, you know, the minimum processor we can and still be modern. Uh, and that's what the mini's been for whatever reason. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see them have at least one model where you can say, Hey, this is the, the sort of, you know, the power user desktop who doesn't want an iMac. Yeah, although I'm sure that we're Apple listening to this stuff, and I don't think they ever do, so I think we're safe. <laughs> uh, who would probably say, you know, that's fine for you guys, and you, but you guys represent a very small portion of our market. So we know what sells, and what sells are iMacs. People love the screens. They like the form factor. They're screaming fast. They're not horribly expensive, and that's what you should be buying. And if you don't want that, then get yourself a Mac Pro. Or lump it. Yeah, and that used to be a reasonable position when the iMac was twenty two, twenty three hundred, and the Mac Pro was twenty five hundred. And you know, 
but nowadays with the Mac Pro starting at like 3000 that's for like the base model and nobody's yeah. going to really get that you know and the iMac available for what is it for 1299 1199 for the cheapest one mm-hmm. i mean there there's that, that argument i think is a little harder to make and i i also think there's an argument to be made that the iMac sells so well because apple has made it the main option right you know is it is it do people buy the iMac because they don't want the Mac Mini, or do they buy the iMac because the Mac Mini isn't enough machine for them, and so the iMac is the only option? I I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see. I'd, li- I'd like to be able to experiment and see if that what the answer to that is. Yeah, or it may just be a secondary consideration to them that they feel like, well, people are really buying laptops, and yeah. that's where we're going to focus. Yeah. And if if yeah. you want a desktop machine, look, we're not going to make you buy a monitor. Just here. Open the box, put it on your desk, plug it in, and look, it just works. It connects to the, uh, yeah. the Internet, just like it said in the commercial way back in the day. So uh, we're going to take another break, and uh, this time we'll be talking about ShareFile by Citrix, the professional way to share files. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you've heard about ShareFile by Citrix. We talk about it a lot. And why? Well, it's like this. Most of us rely on email to communicate with our clients and our coworkers, and we frequently exchange files like contracts and spreadsheets and, and presentations. But if you're sending these important or confidential documents as regular email attachments, you need to know about a better way, and that better way is ShareFile by Citrix. Instead of attachments, ShareFile sends your documents as secure links. So you can quickly send files of almost any size, and we're talking about gigabytes of size. You can control who has access to them and how long they have access to them. And you can receive email alerts when files are opened and reviewed. Plus, ShareFile is easy to use and will help you work more efficiently. You can keep everybody on the same page with shared folders that sync automatically, and you can access files from anywhere using your computer or your mobile device. Like millions of other professionals, I use ShareFile to move my files around. So how can you get on board? Easy enough. Just sign on for a 30-day free trial with no obligation. Just go to ShareFile.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, that's visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld. So I, I I don't want to let this one go without talking about the FCC and um, and what was formerly called net neutrality. <laughs> and <sighs> so where are we now in this uh, as of uh, as of Monday Wednesday? Where are we? Wow, um, the internet is on fire mm-hmm. and and almost burned to the ground. Uh, no, you know that. This has been a pretty disappointing week, I think, for advocates of net neutrality. That the the uh, Obama administration had said from the beginning that they were 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 what's the right word? They were strong proponents of the idea of net neutrality, where the internet is a pipe and you get the same pipe whether you're Joe Schmo or Microsoft or whatever. Right. Obama campaigned on that. Yes. Right. Right. And then. They even tried to enforce those rules, and they went to the Supreme Court, and it wasn't it that, and they, it was a Supreme Court or appeals court. I've forgotten at this point, but uh, said, "Oh, you can't do this the way you're trying to do it." Right. And 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 all these net neutrality advocates said, "Well, you know what? There's an easy way around this. All you've got to do is say that the internet is a utility, and you've got all the power you need to 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 enforce net neutrality." And everyone said, "Yay, they're going to do that." And then the FCC commissioner. 
or FCC itself, I guess, um, set, published draft uh, a draft summary over the last week or so, saying that yeah, that whole net neutrality thing. Eh, you know, I think we're gonna do it a different way. We're gonna go a different <laughs> way. Um, to where now they're proposing that certain vendors can purchase faster lanes than others. I, I mean, that's my you know thirty second synopsis. But the idea being that. It seems like they're okay now with Netflix purchasing you know, faster pipes than you know um, AT and T, so that Netflix stuff gets prioritized over you know. So just picking companies at random, right? But the idea of it that that there's a that there's a single speed for everybody seems to be on the way out. Well, yeah, I think it's crazy. For, uh, first of all, the the guy who's running the FCC now is a former lobbyist for the right. For, for the, you know, I mean, he's. I'm sure he's a very nice man, and uh, and he's probably left all that behind once he took his. But come on, he was he was in the pay of the the cable and the, you know these industries, and now he's running the show, and his buddies want faster access. So what net neutrality was supposed to be is they said, well, you can't punish anybody, uh, and so slow down uh, or throttle anybody's traffic, and so I think what he's really doing is just saying, oh, well, we're not. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to throttle all traffic except those people who pay, um, which means, no, they're not throttling, but they're going to leave it the way it is. And then those who want faster access, that last mile basically is what we're talking about, the last mile access, right. so that you have Netflix content on Comcast servers or AT&T servers. Um, so basically, if you want your content not to suck, you have to pay for the privilege, which is basically this the situation that Netflix ended up in. On Comcast before, Netflix content was terrible. And f they finally had to go to Comcast and say, what's the deal? And they said, well, you know, if you put it on our servers for a price, it won't suck anymore. And lo and behold, it didn't. Um, and Netflix is still not happy about it. I mean, normally after you have these sort of companies come together and, and make these arrangements, they shake hands and they say, oh, yes, we're all very, very happy about it. But it went on for a couple of weeks, and then Netflix came out and said, we really hate this. We are so sorry that we have to pay these guys um, to make our content come through, because we shouldn't have to do that. And, so and then and then wasn't it Comcast that said, you know what? They're lying. They made it slow themselves. Yeah. I mean, they were like going back and forth on blogs saying, you know, these multinational billion-dollar corporations were – Having blog flame wars. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was amusing, and they, and but then you look at Comcast's take on it. And you go, well, why would they do that? For years, why would they do just so they could pay you money and then try to make you look bad afterwards? I just didn't see the profit in that for them, um, unless it was just you know people wanted to have flame wars over <laughs> over the internet over it. But no one ever does that. Chris. No, no, certainly not me. So anyway, the, the the take for me was the FCC chairman was is being duplicitous where what's the incentive to encourage companies to have a higher base uh, so that they improve the, con uh, the the speeds of the content not being paid for so that we can all kind of get great access across the board? No, why should they? Why don't they just leave it as it is and say, well, that's kind of what you get. But if you want to pay for the premium plan, we'll make sure that your content comes across and looks good. I mean, either either these guys have never used the internet before, or you know they're just bought off, and um, and I think it's too bad. Fortunately, it hasn't passed yet. It's gone to the commissioners, and people are making a 
pretty serious stink about this. And I, I hope that enough people step in. I know members of Congress are stepping in to say, you know, this smells bad. Um, well, I, I hope the, they turn around. To me, the thing that's the most disturbing about this, I, I, I don't know if most or one of the most, but is just the effect on competition because yeah. the FCC, you know, their mandate is to guarantee competition, to some extent is to guarantee competition. And yet what this is essentially doing is it's, it's setting up the, the big wealthy companies so that they have an inherent advantage over the smaller companies mm-hmm. or companies that may not even exist yet. Right. Because if I'm, you know, Nancy Smith in my garage and I've got this great idea for a new streaming media company. And then I, you know, I get a few backers and I, I try to set it up and it turns out that every, that I can't get my content to people because I can't afford to pay for the fast way. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you know, all the bandwidth is taken up by Netflix and Amazon prime and all this stuff. I mean, that's, that's not good for anybody. Well, I mean, it's good for Netflix right. and Amazon and Comcast, but not for the rest of us who are going to miss out on that content and the, the, the possibility of new, new ways to get media that are maybe better than what's out there already. And I mean, that effect on com, uh, um, excuse me, on, on competition, I think is being under, uh, undersold by, by some of the advocates, I think. Yeah. And I, I think people who are strong proponents of a free market would say, well, you know, that's just the way business is. It used to be that you could develop a game for not a lot of money and sell it on the app store and you would make loads of money. And it turns out the little guys are getting pushed out because it costs a lot to make high quality games. And so I think they would turn to these same people who are considering getting into the streaming business or using huge amounts of bandwidth and just say, you know, the cost of doing business is that you have to pay for the fast lane. Sorry. Um, because in every other aspect of business, that's just the way it works. But why should, why should the government step in, in this one instance and say, no, 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 we have to make it fair for everybody and, uh, and, you know, bring, raise all boats instead of just the ones, you know, those who have more expensive boats should have higher water. Well, and the argument that's being made, and there's there are some compelling aspects of it, is that the internet used to be a service, but it has become, in, in effect, a utility right. in that just like power or gas or water or roads, it's something that every business needs. And the idea that some people should get their own dedicated, you know, way better version of it than other people is not... Great. You know, it's not good for competition. It's not good for our economy as a whole. And so that's, that's sort of the new tack that I've seen over the last maybe six months to a year where, where people are, are framing it as a utility and saying, we started this argument, you know, a decade ago when things were so much different. Now, you know, you can't have a real, you know, an innovative startup or a new business or without a fast internet connection. And so it's crazy that we should be, you know, parceling it out to the highest bidder. Um, since we don't do that to, in theory, with electricity or gas right. or whatever. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I agree with you completely. I think it should be treated as a utility, but I think in the current political climate, it's just not going to wash. That oh, I, yeah. I think there are just too many people say that are so extreme on free market that they'll just discount that and say, look, if you got the money, you get to play. If you don't have the money, get out and make the money, and then you can come in and play. And I, I think it's unfortunate because I think you're right. That so much that we do now is dependent on the internet. It's, it's no longer just sort of a convenience, but it's something that we rely on for so many things that to, 
to parse it out in such a way that's like, well, that's going to be slow for you, but uh, for you, it's going to be fast is, is unfair and, um, and counterproductive. And I, and I think ultimately, as you suggest, it stifles competition. And before we get on with the next rant, and uh, I've got a good one for that, uh, we'll hear once more from Citrix, and this will be go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. As you may have heard, good communication is crucial for any business, especially when the people you work with aren't in the same office, as is the case here at Macworld. You need to be able to stay connected and meet with coworkers and clients wherever they happen to be. And that's why millions of small business professionals rely on GoToMeeting by Citrix, and you should too. It's the proven solution for meeting and collaborating online. This is how it works. With GoToMeeting, you can share the same screen to review documents, presentations, and other things in real time, making it easier for everyone to stay on the same page. And with built-in HD video conferencing, you just need a webcam to see each other face-to-face. GoToMeeting allows you to present, demonstrate, and just simply meet from anywhere with any PC, Mac, tablet, or smartphone. Happens that I use GoToMeeting quite a lot, and it really is a lifesaver. So, see why millions choose GoToMeeting. Start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today. You can try it for free for 30 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code MACWORLD. Okay, my I'm going to try not to rant about this too much, um, because I really don't want this to be MacWorld Podcast number 405, Chris Rants. Um, but I'd listen to that podcast, by the way. Yeah, but you may never listen to another one after that, so that would be the problem. Um, earlier, no, late last week, um, Apple and Google and Adobe and Intel have settled uh, over the Silicon Valley hiring case. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it happens that... Um, that Apple's leader, Steve Jobs, a few years ago went out and he talked to a lot of the heads of companies, including Adobe and Google and Intel, and said, hey, I have an idea. How about if we not hire each other's employees? And, uh, you know, that sounds fine, except what it did is it kept employee salaries lower. And then specifically, they're talking about engineers. So it was at the point where you can understand why why Mr. Jobs would want to do something like that. They put a lot of resources into training employees and they don't want Google grabbing them or, you know, vice versa and have these engineers be able to basically go to the highest bidder as it works everywhere else in the world. Um, so anyway, these companies have settled now and we don't know what the number is, the amount of money that's going to be distributed. And I think there's 65,000 people in this class action suit. Um, but where I want to get to the ranty part is that it seems to me that if you have enough money, you can bail yourself out if you get caught over something like this. Um, I very much am an admirer of Steve Jobs, but I think that act in specifically was despicable. Um, to collude with other uh, heads of, of big companies and basically say, we get to treat our employees as chattel and suppress their ability to find other kinds of jobs in the in their areas of expertise is um is wholly unfair 
and it's a violation of the law. But it seems that over these kinds of things, um, and it isn't just in technology, but a lot of other kind of one percenter things, that you can violate these laws with impunity, provided that you can pay up at the end. So rather than anybody going to jail ever over this sort of thing, it's just like, yeah, that was really bad. Uh, give us, you know, X tens, hundreds of millions of dollars and we'll make it go away. Is, is this shocking to you, Chris? <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm kind of tired you were, of you it. Were, you were here in 2008, right? Yeah. With our economy. Yeah. And- yeah. I am. I mean, and, 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 yeah. but this is a, because, you know, we think of Apple as being the good guys. And right. It's close to home for, for fans of Apple. Yes. Very much so. And I've talked to some people who have, who worked at these companies at the time who very much liked working for Apple or working for Adobe or Google. And they're kind of upset. And, and some people are, are upset personally at, at Steve Jobs over this that, um, you know, everybody knew that they were working hard. They were well compensated, but still this idea of that there was this kind of collusion at the top, um, has upset people who sure. prior to that, you know, thought, oh, you know, I'm working for fair people. And, and this just seems like an, an entirely unfair action. No, I, 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 you can't really argue with it. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to think that some, there, there are people who are working hard and could have essentially advanced further in their careers maybe multiple times and never got that opportunity because the people at the top said, let's just not recruit each other's people. I mean, it's really as simple as that. It's pretty, it's, there's reasons that they have laws against this. Um, And I, I mean, you can't really defend Apple or any of these other companies uh, for it. Right. But I I will say one thing about Palm. Uh, That was one of the companies that still existed at the time that uh, he approached and, Good on him. Whoever was running Palm at the time just said, no, that's that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly yeah. what terms he put it in, but he just said, you know, that isn't OK that, uh, you know, we don't own these people. They are our employees and they have aspirations just as we do. And so, no, we're not going to go along with that. So and I, I, I've heard people argue about that and say, well, no, this is the same kind of thing that, that happens in professional sports. For right. Example. That's, that's the one thing I've heard and thought of myself about it. Right. Right. Or, uh, movie studios, music labels that you sign a contract and you were kind of owned by them, but you go into it knowing that. Right. And this isn't like Steve went around to everybody at the company and said, by the way, I'm thinking of going over and talking to Eric Schmidt and, uh, preventing you from getting a job at Google. Are you okay with that? Right. You're, no, you're right. I mean, in, in sports, in entertainment, when you sign the contract, you know what the contract is. When you sign a contract to, to work for Apple, especially in the state of California, it's, you know, what, what's the name of the, 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 the standard contract everybody has nowadays where they can fire you at any time and you can leave at any time. But yeah, there was nothing in there, like you said, that, that would make someone think that Google would never contact them because their boss had told them not to. Right. And they, and also these people in, in sports and in entertainment, are represented by unions. And so if something like this were happening and they didn't know about it, the union could basically say, all right, everybody stop work. We'll get this sorted out and then we'll come back when it's time to do this. But engineers don't have that kind of representation. You really are on your own. And if a company chooses to do something like this, until you gather together 64,999 of your uh, colleagues, you don't have any recourse except... I guess you could sue individually, but um, 
Anyway, so bad on you, Steve, and uh, and the rest of you for doing this. Um, I'm glad it's getting settled, but um, I would like to see something a little sterner in place so that this kind of thing doesn't happen in the future. Because, again, the, these companies have billions of dollars, and sure, it makes them look bad, and it'll sting a little bit to pay the fine, but... Um, but you're you're right. I mean, it's they, they got a little fi- for for a company like Apple, the fine is going to be minuscule. Yeah. It's going to show up on next year's FEC report or whatever. Um, FEC. What am I? I'm talking about elections already. Maybe it'll appear there too. Um, the you know their financial reports, and then uh, and then they'll you know it'll be over, and no one will think twice about it. Uh, so I mean, and again, that's like you said at the beginning of this segment. That seems to be par for the course for companies that do big things wrong is that they pay a fine, which is usually relatively small compared to their worth. And then they move on and, you know, maybe the people who are affected get a few bucks here or there. Yeah. And, yeah. I wonder what that, those 65,000 uh, right. engineers are going to get. And that to me is actually the bigger, the big, more offensive thing to me is just that companies can do things. Big companies can do things like this and the fines and the punishments are so, are so small relatively relative to the companies themselves that, you know, there's not that much of a disincentive for them to do it again or do other things like that. Right, right. Well, okay, so all we're asking large multinational companies is just a little more fairness, please, to your employees, to the world at large. And uh, What was that? Do no evil, Google? Yeah, and to pass that around to everybody right, else. to Apple and Amazon and everything. Yeah, let, except Palm, who, who did no evil, and look what happened to them. So uh, I guess it shows you nice guys do indeed finish last. And speaking of finishing, I think we're done. And so being done, I will say thanks very much, Dan Frakes, for being here and uh, and not filling in, but rather finally starring starring Dan Frakes and finally (laughs) answering and answering my pleas to be on here every single week. But I'm glad that you could do it this time. Once in a while, we have to give in and, you know. Give some time to the people. Kid, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Thank no, any any time, Chris. Great. Thanks a lot, and of course, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week, and maybe Serenity will be here. We'll find out. And that wraps up this episode of the Macro Podcast, brought to you by iFixit.com, the world's free online repair manual for everything and Citrix, makers of ShareFile, the professional way to share files, and GoToMeeting, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. Thanks to our sponsors, and thank you very much for listening.